Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. To capitalize on the North American fur trade and to expand French colonies, Samuel Champlain, who championed the colonization efforts of New France, which were at that time centered on the St. Lawrence River Valley and the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Champlain worked tirelessly to make sure the French colonies survived amid political and corporate changes of power. Let's learn more about this titan of history's last years with the help of our friends at LibriVox. Champlain's Last Years During the last two years of his life, Champlain lived patriarchally at Quebec, administering the public affairs of the colony and lending its religious impulses the strength of his support and example. Always a man of serious mind, his piety was confirmed by the reflections of advancing age and his daily contact with the missionaries. In his household there was a service of prayer three times daily, together with reading at supper from the lives of the saints. In pursuance of a vow, he built a chapel named Notre-Dame de la Recouvrance, which records the gratitude he felt for the restoration of Quebec to France. He was, in short, the ideal layman, serving his king loyally in all business of state, and demeaning himself as a pilgrim who was about to set forth for the city of God. It is not to be inferred from the prominence of Champlain's religious interests that he neglected his public duties, which continued to be many and exacting. One of his problems was to prevent the English from trading in the St. Lawrence, contrary to treaty. Another was to discourage the Hurons from selling their furs to the Dutch on the Hudson. The success of the mission, which he had deeply at heart, implied the maintenance of peace among the Indians who were friendly to the French. As Champlain saw things, the merchants who clamored for freedom of trade were greedy pot-hunters. All they want, he says, is that men should expose themselves to a thousand dangers to discover peoples and territories that they themselves may have the profit and others the hardship. It is not reasonable that one should capture the lamb and another go off with the fleece. If they had been willing to participate in our discoveries, use their means and risk their persons, they would have given evidence of their honor and nobleness. But, on the contrary, they show clearly that they are impelled by pure malice that they may enjoy the fruit of our labors equally with ourselves. Against folk of this sort, Champlain felt he had to protect the national interests which were so dear to him. Its chief asset was Champlain's friendship with the Indians. Champlain's the most admirable of those who risked death in the attempt to found a settlement at Quebec. Champlain was convinced that the stability of trade, upon which in turn exploration depended, could be secured only in this way. Some years showed a large profit, but as time went on, friction arose in the affairs of New France. The cause of dispute was the unwillingness to keep its promises regarding colonization. Champlain protested. There followed an appeal to the crown, in which Champlain was fully sustained. He also instituted an inquiry regarding the alleged neglect to maintain the post at Quebec. The dispute involved no change in the policy of the crown towards trade and colonization. It was a quarrel of persons, which eventually reached a settlement. The recital of these intricate events will at least illustrate the difficulties which beset Champlain in his endeavor to build up New France. There were problems even enough had he received loyal support from the crown. He saw that an aggressive policy of expansion and settlement became each year more imperative. Instead, he was called on to withstand the cabals of self-seeking traders who shirked their obligations, and to endure the apathy of a government which was preoccupied with palace intrigues. At Quebec itself, the bright spot were the convent of the Recollets. The Recollets were a branch of the Franciscan order noted for the austerity of their rule. The Recollets first came to New France in 1615, 
and began at once by language study to prepare for their work among the Montagny and Hurons. And in the absence of parish priests, they ministered to the ungodly hangers-on of the fur trade as well as to the Indians. We have from Champlain's own lips a valuable statement as to the condition of things at Quebec. We were in all, he says, sixty-five souls, including men, women, and children. Of the sixty-five, only eighteen were adult males fit for hard work, and this small number must be reduced to two or three if we include only the tillers of the soil. Besides these, a few adventurous spirits were away in the woods with the Indians, learning their language and endeavoring to exploit the beaver trade. But twenty years after the founding of Quebec, the French in Canada, all told, numbered less than one hundred. Contrast with this the state of Virginia fifteen years after the settlement of Jamestown. By 1622, the population of Virginia was at least 4,000. The tobacco fields were flourishing and lucrative. Durable houses had been built and made comfortable with furniture brought from England. And the old squalor was everywhere giving way to thrift. The area of colonization was pushed up by the James River as far as Richmond. This contrast is not to be interpreted to the personal disadvantage of Champlain. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The slow growth and poverty of Quebec were due to no fault of his. It is rather the measure of his greatness that he was undaunted by disappointment and unembittered by the pettiness of spirit which met him at every turn. He sought also to police the region of the Great Lakes by a band of French soldiers, and his last letter to Richelieu, dated August 15, 1635, contains an earnest appeal for a 120 men, to whom should be assigned the duty of marshalling the Indian allies against the English and Dutch, as well as of preserving order throughout the forest. The erection of a fort at Three Rivers in 1634 was due to his desire that the annual barter should take place at a point above Quebec. A commission which he issued at the same year to Jean Nicolet to explore the country of the Wisconsins shows that his consuming zeal for exploration remained with him to the end. It was permitted Champlain to die in harness. He remained to the last lieutenant of the king in Canada. At the beginning of October 1635, he was stricken with paralysis and passed away on Christmas Day of the same year. We do not possess the oration which Father Paul Lejeune delivered at his funeral, but there remains from Lejeune's pen an appreciation of his character in terms which, to Champlain himself, would have seemed the highest praise. On the 25th of December, the day of the birth of our Saviour upon earth, Monsieur de Champlain, our Governor, was reborn in heaven. At least we can say that his death was full of blessings. I am sure that God has shown him this favor in consideration of the benefits he has procured for New France, where we hope some day God will be loved and served by our French, and known and adored by our Indians. Truly he had led a life of great justice, equity, and perfect loyalty to his king, and towards the gentlemen of the company. 
but at his death he crowned his virtues with sentiments of piety so lofty that he astonished us all. What tears he shed! How ardent became his zeal for the service of God! How great was his love for the families here, saying that they must be vigorously assisted for the good of the country, and made comfortable in every possible way in these early stages, and that he would do it if God gave him health. He was not taken unawares in the account which he had to render unto God, for he had long ago prepared a general confession of his whole life, which he made with great contrition to Father Lalmont, whom he honored with his friendship. The father comforted him throughout his sickness, which lasted two months and a half, and did not leave him until his death. He had a very honorable burial, the funeral procession being farmed of the people, the soldiers, the captains, and the churchmen. Father Lalmont officiated at this burial and I was charged with the funeral oration, for which I did not lack material. Those whom he left behind have reason to be well satisfied with him, for, though he died out of France, his name will not therefore be any less glorious to posterity. Unselfish as to money or fame, Champlain sought to create new France. In national progress, much depends on the auspices under which the nation was founded, thus Canada has had from the outset of the present stage in her development a great possession in the self-sacrifice. For Canada, Champlain is a heroic explorer of the 17th century, and the founder of Quebec, and it is a rich part of our heritage that he founded New France in the spirit of unselfishness, of loyalty, and of faith. There are some things that speak for themselves. Champlain pursued unflinchingly his appointed task. For thirty-two years he persevered, amid every kind of hardship, danger, and discouragement, in the effort to build up New France. He had personal ambitions as an explorer, which were kept in strict subordination to his duty to the king. He possessed concentration of aim without fanaticism. His signal unselfishness was adorned by patience, inspired by large ideals he did not scorn imperfect means. Thus there are certain large aspects of Champlain's character that stand forth in the highlight of deed, and do not depend for their effect either upon his own words or those of others. But when once we have paid tribute to the fine, positive qualities which are implied by his accomplishment, we must hasten to recognize the extraordinary value of his writings as an index to his mind and soul. His narrative is not an epic of disaster. It is a plain and even statement of great dangers calmly met and treated as a matter of course. Largely, it is a record of achievement. At points where it is a record of failure, Champlain accepts the inevitable gracefully and conforms his emotions to the will of God. The voyages reveal a strong man, well foursquared to the blows of fortune. They also illustrate the virtue of muscular Christianity. Samuel de Champlain died in the settlement he founded, Canada's Quebec City, on Christmas Day, 1635. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.